right, hello and everyone. Welcome back to the Omni Talk Fast Five. It's October 24th, 2019, and we are sitting here live at the Q4 conference at Third House. It's been an amazing day. It's been an incredible day. I think my, my cheeks are still like rosy from trying to do 45 minutes of yelling into a microphone. <laughs> yeah, that was fast, man. That was quick. You were, you were pacing. That was you good. Were, you were like a podcast at 2x speed today, Carter. I so was I'm going like to be at impressed. 0.5 speed then this next half hour, so be ready. It's okay. I learned a lot. I learned a ton. It's cool. We're sitting here live in front of an audience. We've got a good number of people here from the conference that stuck around. Yeah, shout it out. So yes, those listening at home that can't see the video, there is a live audience here in front of us. And of course, we also have Emma the intern making her second appearance in the Talk Fast Five. I'm so glad Emma's here. I missed you guys last week. I I listened from the beaches of California, and I was like, man, Emma makes this thing better. It's great to have her. We didn't miss you, though. We actually resented you because you were on a beach in California. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's like 30 degrees here in Minneapolis. But Emma's professors are here today, too, so no No pressure. pressure. No pressure. Funny story, my wife did ask me, she's like, is Emma okay with you calling her Emma the intern? And I just want everyone to know, Mrs. Omni Talk too, she's absolutely okay with it. It's part of the shtick. So, all right, you guys ready to do this? Yes, let's get started. All right, there's some fun stories this week, and I think you're going to kick us off. But first, a word from our sponsors. Our sponsor is Trigo. Trigo provides checkout-free technology that sets your customer free. Trigo's network of ceiling-mounted cameras sees what no other systems can see. It creates a 3D image of retailers' shop floors, environments, and maps the movement of every object as consumers shop. Its proprietary algorithms and neural networks enable a frictionless shopping experience where consumers can enter the store, pick, and leave. All right, Anne. Let's Let's do do it. So I'm really excited about this story because it's a excellent segue from the content that we heard today at Q4 because Discovery has taken the Food Network channel and turned it into a kitchen subscription service that will launch in the U.S. with live cooking classes. So think Peloton, but for the cooking channel. So now you can tune in. So what, Razor Ray is riding a bike? Uh, No. (laughs) Not quite. Not quite. There's probably a different YouTube channel for that, but that's not this. (laughs) Uh, So now you can have, there's a live test kitchen in New York, and the people that you've come to know and love, everybody from Emerald to Rachel Ray to Giada De Laurentiis, will be doing live cooking shows. They will actually interact with you. Um, Listeners can submit, or viewers in this case, can submit questions uh, about the recipes that they're preparing live in front of you. And even better, there's definitely a retail spin to this. You can purchase all the products for that recipe directly from your Amazon Fire tablet, your uh, Apple iOS device, or your Google Android device, however you're participating in this class. Uh, There is a yearly service fee that they're going to do a a 90-day, like, reduced trial period rate. But for 50 bucks a year, you get access to all of this great content. What, what do you guys think? Okay, so I 99% love it. You 99% 99% love it. Is it Emerald that's keeping the... No, I... Also, why 99 and not 99.9? Well, because there's a 1% that I think is actually pretty significant. So not 0.1. So the the joy of Peloton... So if we're going to make that comparison... Okay. The joy of Peloton, and one of the reasons why people buy the $2,700 bike, is the fact that the screen that's in front of you is pretty big. And I know it sounds trivial, but it's an immersive experience. So, like, you're there, you're there with the instructor, it's... 
you're kind of in your own bubble. Now, I worry that the devices that this is going to come to life on, specifically at launch, you're looking at right. you know, Amazon Shows, you're looking at your tablet, you're looking at maybe even your phone. You're running around the kitchen, putting things in the oven, making sure the kids are taken care of, and you have a tiny little screen in the corner that's trying to create this immersive community-like experience. I just don't, I think that's gonna be a linchpin for it. Now, if you are lucky enough to have a 60-inch TV bolted to the side of your kitchen and can really mimic the environment of having a friend in the, in the environment with you, I think that's magic. I just worry that the medium it's coming to life on, that's the 1% because I love everything. I just worry that's going to be a linchpin. It's not going to be that immersive cook alongside tutorial that we really are hoping it to be. So using the framework you shared today, so you think this is actually good experience design or consumer experience design, but what you're worried about is that it actually just might not come to life in the right way. Yeah, I worry, and, and it's not even that it's not accessible. I think it's incredibly accessible. Yeah. Look at Amazon's penetration. You think it's a good home. idea? I think it's a really good idea. I just worry the medium it comes to life in is it going to add the emotional value that I believe it should. Yeah, that's interesting because it's also how I thought about the Nike example you shared at the conference as well, which we can go into later. But um, yeah, I, I'm curious. This is what I love about doing this live. How many of you in the audience think this is a cool idea? Raise your hands Two, high. Three. Five, okay, we got seven. like it's like it's like thirty percent. Okay, awesome. I think it's a pretty cool idea. I mean, my wife is addicted to this channel. Like, it is all she does. If she if I leave the house and there's no kids, she's watching this crap over and over and but over she again. Cook and yes, I know you're listening. What? Did she cook along with it though? No, she doesn't cook along with it. But look at the look at the Food Network. I mean, how many people are gonna still have cable and be watching the Food Network in the next two years? I think this is a smart way for them to get into your house. They've got voice-activated ordering, Carter. How are you no, not on board with this 100%? 99%. That's what I said. It's genius. I just think yeah, there's a linchpin. And it's only... Yeah, you're the guy that doesn't touch his faucet because you have voice activation <laughs> to turn it off while you're no, no, cooking no. chicken. Not, remember, 99%. That is a huge percentage. Right. Like, no, you I think this it. thing is amazing. I just wanted to highlight my concern. I think you're right. I think, to your point, the way I thought about this as I was uh, thinking about it was like, yeah, I could see Alexa being involved in this, but it's got to be, what's it, the Alexa? I always get these confused. The Alexa, Alexa show, show right? Yeah. It's got to be there, and or I've got to be able to like see it yeah. and do the whole thing and be able to talk to it, and voice technology still got to come a, a, a long way. But hey, I think it's a hell of a first step, and it's still a hell of a first step in terms of like showing just how direct you can go to consumer in pretty novel ways yeah. at the moments in people's lives. And Emma, we get the retailers into it. I mean, yeah. if I can just say to Alexa, order everything from Giada De Laurentiis' grain salad now, I don't have to now take that that I saw on TV, remember who the talent was that did the recipe, then find it and place the order. This is automatic order fulfillment or delivery. Yeah, you know who's going to be all over this at that point? Wafer. Because they're going to know exactly what the return on the spend is from partnering in that, and they're going to see the exact impact impact on their online oh, as sales as it's happening. Yes, we could talk as the fulfiller. I mean, I could talk for twenty more minutes about the fact that this is a solution to the issue of ordering individual items from Amazon's voice system. It's really hard to say broccoli because there's seven variations of broccoli. Right. But if it's if you just take if you just take the variables out of it, yeah. Yeah, or Le Creuset, whatever it is. Yeah. 
All right, number two, Carter, you want to take us to the next one? All right, yeah. So Apple Pay overtakes Starbucks as the top mobile payment app in the United States. So for the first time, a generic mobile payment app is more popular than the Starbucks mobile app, which had a long, which had long led the category, as we know. We've talked about it endlessly um, here. Apple Pay becomes a market leader last year, really, with 27.7 million Americans using the app or the system on the phone or your watch to make a purchase. Um, so... Ultimately, by the end of the year, Apple will have about 30.3 million, um, and that represents about 47, 48% of mobile payment users across the board. Um, Starbucks still follows closely behind to 25.2 million, representing about 39%. So uh, Starbucks and Apple, like two things I love. The two applications I think are really important. I think the emergence of Apple Pay and the card are a huge uh, adoption point of this. Um, I also think... But, yeah, I think I have to stop, and I'll let you guys... Uh, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. you're, you're you like Apple fanboy, though. I love how you brought in the watch. I think we've got to go to Emma on this one. Emma the intern. Do you use Apple 21 Pay? 21 years old. <laughs> yeah, I do use Apple Pay. Only okay. within, like, the last, like, two months, though, did I actually set it up on my phone. Why did you set it up? What triggered that? Working in retail, I see people use it all the time, and I was like, why am I not doing that? I'm 21. I should be, like, on this. <laughs> on top of it. I should be on this. And I have to say, I do really like Apple Pay. I never have to whip out my wallet and then spill all of the contents of my wallet all over the floor. I will say, however, though, I've never only like I've used the Starbucks app maybe like two or three times. And that was only because I wanted to order a drink ahead, like ahead and go pick it up for sure. working at the mall. Yeah. And so I'm kind of surprised that it took this long for Apple Pay to advance over Starbucks in term of po terms of popularity. Yeah, in some ways it's kind of surprising, right? Yeah. Like you're kind of like, oh, it wasn't already there. Yeah. I mean, it shows you how ubiquitous Starbucks is in, in Americans' lives. But it's funny, we always ask this question when we do our Spotlight Series podcast, when we you know, ask the question, you know, we do the how millennial are you game at the end. And one of the standard you know, Bernard Pibot questionnaire from the inside the actor studio that we use, but our questionnaire is, you know, if given the option, do you use Apple Pay or do you still pull out a credit card? And, and I would say 75% of the time, and we're interviewing CEOs of some of the most upstart tech companies there are. Right. What is it, 75% of the time? Yeah. They, they pull out their credit card? Yeah, correct. Yeah, they're pulling out their credit card. Yeah. I mean, I, this is, again, we, I got to pull the audience. Okay, how many of you guys are using Apple Pay consistently? Okay, so it's like 10, 15. But Dan, you're, you're European. It's hard. Right. Well, right. let's let's look at both ends of this equation really quickly. Let's look at the value that yeah. that causes and the convenience. Mm -hmm. So the convenience to get into it. Apple has a convenience effect because it can build it into the hardware we all have. A double click on the side button gives you your Apple Pay. Easy enough. Starbucks is also really in interestingly convenient. It knows when you're at a Starbucks and it'll bring it up on the home screen and you simply swipe and get it there. Value. Emma, that's what reminded me of this. You order ahead. That's a huge value to use the Starbucks app. From Apple, this is more recent. Before, value wasn't as great. You didn't have to carry your wallet. But now with the new Apple card, you're starting to get more value. You're starting to get a better experience. You're starting to see, like, geographically, where are you spending? What are you, what are you buying? You're starting to see that value surround this experience. And I think as they continue to add to that, you'll see this become more and more applicable. I think it comes into practice too in habits though because I think I think Emma's example is right too where once you do it you never go back. 
Like, you're just like, why was I ever pulling out a credit card to begin with? It makes a different sound when you use, like, Apple Pay versus your actual card. And it's, like, a really satisfying yeah. sound. Yeah, genius. It totally is. And you feel cool, yeah. you know, like I do anyway. And, God, I need every coolness point I can get. Well, you but, took out traveler's checks for your last trip, didn't you? That's right. No, but I did want to bring this up because it's interesting to see that so many people in the audience don't use Apple Pay. But one thing I learned that you can do, which we also don't do here in the States, and Dan, I think we were talking about this too, is you can actually take your credit card out and just tap it on the machine, similar to how you do with Apple Pay. How many people do that? Yeah, same about same percentage. I don't do that in the US, and I still use Apple Pay because I don't want to take the credit card out, but do you guys do that? Do you guys tap your card? I've never done that. We talked about this, and was like, totally cooler you, and you were cool because you were in Europe last week and you did it but until then that's true I was in Barcelona uh, oh my gosh cool. <laughs> alright 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 <laughs> but anyway it's cool to see I still think this is one of the coolest technologies out there um, just in terms of just how frictionless makes the whole shopping experience and also I think when you start getting into this like much further down road there, we did a cool podcast with a company called Listener where all this can, activity can just start to happen mobily, where you don't even take the card out. You just have your phone with you, and it'll pay for you as you walk by. And that world is coming. We're not that far away from it. In fact, at a lot of retailers, it's already in place as a second fail-safe against credit card fraud at the machines, just to make sure that it's you. So keep that in mind that that's coming as well. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Story number three. I've got this one. All right, it was reported in Business Wire this week that Amazon will add thousands of new locations for free package pickup across the U.S. That's right, Amazon announced this week the expansion of its program called Counter, a network of staffed pickup pickup points, excuse me, that gives customers the option to pick up their Amazon packages in-store at a partner location. With this expansion, customers now have access to thousands more Amazon Hub Counter locations, with Amazon's new store partners, GNC, Health Mart, and Stage Stores. Delivery to a counter will be available for the tens of millions of items sold on Amazon.com and works with same-day, one-day, two-day, and, of course, standard shipping. And the service is available to all Amazon customers at no extra cost. Just continue to increase the value of the Prime membership. What do you guys think of this one? Eh. Eh? Really? You're meh? On this one? I am. Really? Until You're not stepping up to the counter? I am not, because until you can accept returns and do package pickup, I don't think this is that big of a value. I don't. I'm, I'm well, sorry. You have I'm not going to be a popular right? opinion. Yeah. I, yeah, it's true, but like, I would much rather just go to a locker. Now I have to wait in line at a Rite Aid or a mm. GNC to deal with people when I could just as easily pick my package up from a locker. Unless they can start to implement, I think, some sustainability things or they can reduce packaging or something because now there's a human that's mm. going to be giving you your pa- your whatever you've ordered. Um, and that's a way that they're going to pay this off. I, I don't so know. you want sustainability or return, the ability I don't, to return I don't see how this well. is any better than having a locker in your the front of your store and actually think could be better to have the locker. When I know about my experiences at the Rite Aids in New York, I, I definitely don't want to be waiting behind 
the five people in front of me to pick up a package. Or even your return experiences at Kohl's too, right? Exactly. And I mean, and then you're going to talk about the infrastructure changes that these places like GNC, Rite Aid, wherever, Health Mart, Stage Stores, they're going to have to put in separate lines. And yeah, I'm just not not 100% in on this experience. Yeah, yeah, the partner list is weird that they announced, like GNC, like that's not a place I necessarily go. Well, I guess if I'm a customer, I go there a lot. Yeah, but it has storefronts. Like it has physical locations. Yeah, it has a lot of them too. And that's the point. Yeah, a lot of them. It doesn't matter if you're going to go to a GNC. True, but for them, if they're where you are, maybe yeah. you will go into a GNC now. That's true, GNC. Yeah, Emma, you're the closest to have living lived in a dormitory, um, where package pickup is probably not the easiest thing to assume. What's they're your take? What, what's your take on this whole thing? What's that, Carter? <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, the dorms and apartments that I've lived in, packages really smoothly actually just come to the front desk. Someone signs for it, and then I get an email saying, come pick up your package. The place I live in now actually has one of these fancy locker things where specifically I think it's U or UPS things go through this mm-hmm. Luxor package. Oh, Luxor One. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually really cool. Huge feel, fan of them. I feel them. really yep. cool going to get my packages, and Amazon packages go through that. So I guess this doesn't. This doesn't like really apply to me because I've never lived somewhere where you can't really directly deliver something to my door. Yeah, I think in, I also live in a bubble similarly. Like I live in a house <laughs> that is a relatively safe neighborhood. And so like, why would I deliver something? Like we had cables delivered last night for this conference today. Like why would I deliver them to a Rite Aid or another location where I have to go get them when like I opened my door last night at nine o'clock and it was sitting right there for me? I live three doors down from Carter, so we basically have an Amazon pickup site on our street. Halfway so in between. We have no need for this it's at true. all. It's true. So none of you guys are that excited about this, huh? Why? See, what do you think? Okay, I'm, I'm kind of interested in this one. I'll tell you why. It actually inspired me in the, in the piece I'm writing right now that's about almost it's like 85% finished. But, I, you know, whenever Amazon does something, I try really hard to not look at the face value of what it is, and I try to actually say, okay, well, like, what is this five to ten years from now, and what are they learning from this experiment? And so when I start to see this and I start to see man stations, and you're right, it'd be cool to have returns, but they're doing that at four stall already with man desks. So I don't see like the convergence of that being that difficult to pull off. And they're learning how to do it at Kohl's, you know, as you talked about today in your presentation. So I start to look at it as, okay, like, you know, as they go into the grocery experience, let's say, or they go into physical stores in a much bigger, bolder way and larger footprints, you know, there probably are customer service desks that take on an entirely new angle. And so Amazon is trying to run experiments, I believe, in terms of what are those new angles that need to be taken on? Is it pickup? Is it delivery? One thing I wrote about too is it, it actually, I shop the store checkout free, but I don't want to take the stuff home to me and I bring it to this counter and you ship it to my house from there, right? Which is actually a problem with Amazon Go right now. And so there's all these different ancillary services that can be built that give value to the Amazon customer off of this type of service interaction, similar to what you were talking about today in your presentation, Ann, where service goes more to post-purchase than it does all the pre-purchase activity that we spend money on as retailers now. So, so I don't know. I think there's just it's one of those cool things where it's like, hey, it's an experiment now. Amazon's great at killing their experiments if they don't work, but let's see what happens from here on out. How do you think that the partners are going to react to this? Because that's the biggest thing that we see at Kohl's now with the Amazon returns. Like They had to hire two more people at the Kohl's customer service desk just to support Amazon returns. So you think about GNC and you know some Health Mart, Stage Stores, Rite Aid. Like It's hard enough to staff these stores as it is, and now you're going to have to staff them for somebody to re- accept Amazon returns. Is it worth getting maybe more foot traffic in the store, you think? Well, that's the thing I don't understand. Actually, Josh Shaw asked me that on Twitter. Shout out to Josh. Um, I don't know. 
it was a great question. It was like, why are, the, why are these guys doing this? And I think what I told them was, yeah, I don't get it. It's a me too strategy. And if you believe the hypothesis I just said, then basically we're all just helping Amazon in the long run. And oh, you're really are. not creating any points of differentiation because you'll, everyone will just start to get in the game. It's like, who said today, baking soda and toothpaste? Everyone starts doing it. Well, then everyone starts doing it because they have no other choice. Right. And, but no one wins in that other than Amazon ultimately in the long run. Interesting to dun, think about. Dun, all right, dun. boom. All right, all right. Story number four. All right, so store concept beta is getting into fashion and lifestyle in their stores. So beta, which you may have known as more of a tech platform, retail as a service, where they provide the infrastructure, the staff, and then brands can purchase space in their stores. Um, and beta associates basically sell those products for you. They've come up with a new concept called Forum that goes beyond electronics and devices and into fashion and lifestyle. So they're opening this in the Melrose neighborhood of, uh, in the West Hollywood Shopping District with all the other popular hot brands. Um, and each brand partner will be designing their own space, curating their own brand experience, and we'll be having things like special launches, community influencer and VIP events, uh, but the store will otherwise just feature a rotating selection of products, uh, 25 different brands. Some of the first partnerships, uh, the main anchor tenant of the space will be Alala, the, uh, I think it's women's um, athleisure wear. Just Human, Tact and Stone, Pop Linen, Proclaim, Rimu Apparel, Neo Coco, um, and other local titles, including Hology, Silked, and some local jewelry makers. I want to love this so much. I want to love beta. <laughs> I want to be excited about beta. But I will say, the two or three times I've been at one of their stores have been really disappointing. Were um, you at the actual stores or like the Macy's? I was at the Macy's. Stores. Does that count? Okay. Oh, for sure it counts. Because it's beta employees. It's actually basically like the same thing. I just didn't see the value of the diversified employee. And from my my reading and and hype about beta, it was all about how these employees like are able to be highly knowledgeable and get you into the right product, especially from the tech side of the store. Talk about the solutions that it can provide and the technical aspects, and that I thought was one of their differentiators. Um, but when I went there, every person I talked to was really lackluster and flat and really knew the talking points that were on the cue card of every single one of the products, but ultimately didn't add any more value than I would get anywhere else. And so I'm, I'm hopeful of this. Like I think that we've seen other concepts like this minus the, minus the shared staff. I'm hopeful that that type of staff will really help. But like you look at like Showfields, for example. Like Showfields in New York hired, they hire actors and actresses. Like, they don't hire retail. They hire people who are animated and nice and fun, and you can tell the difference. Now, how, why is beta any different than all of a sudden? Because now it's getting into... Well, how is it different, I guess, than anything else? I think what they're offering is that they're doing shared point-of-sale systems. Like, it's the operations behind the retail experience that they're facilitating in addition to the staffing. Got it. So we've seen Four Posts do this locally, and Four Posts just moved to try to consolidate they moved to shared. Platforms. They moved to shared point-of-sale, right? They're, yes, they're yeah. working on shared point-of-sale, but they're also working on shared staffing models. I mean, I think... This is all still very much a work in progress that people are trying to figure out because it's still not a perfect experience yet. Yeah, I mean, I think the stuff you're talking about, Carter, honestly, is it's all gloss in the PR announcement. I really, really do. It's all hype, as you would say. Um, and also, anytime I read, we're going to lever up events, I'm already like, oh, man, I'm scared. Like, that's not going to work. That's really hard to scale. And let's be honest, beta, if you've shopped it, is like, the mo- I think, the most one of the most male experiences in retail. And if you look at who the... F- I love jabbing beta, too, as you can probably tell in the audience. But like, 
it's, 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 it's all about data capture. The whole thing is set up for data capture. Like you've got the product, you've got the little iPad-ish thing next to it that you can interact with so they can understand conversion and pathing in the store and where people are browsing and where not. And they're gonna try to bring that to other categories. And the thing I'm skeptical about, if I really put my skeptical hat on, if beta is such a cool idea and retail's in such a bad spot and malls don't know what, to, what stores to put into their buildings, why isn't it growing faster? I ask that one simple question. I mean, am I crazy? I just don't think they have a differentiation that they claim they do. Yeah, I think there's, there's more here. now. They're gonna, and you can see why they're trying to go into other categories because they probably need other lines of business to do it. I think trying to take that data-driven approach, data approach to shopping, I'm really, really curious to see what it looks like in, in these types of categories and see how they pull it off with dressing room technology and things like that, which we haven't really seen knock the doors off, anyone else be able to knock the doors off with that. Uh, so it'll, it'll be it'll be interesting to see, but they I can put see a why, smart can see mirror why they're doing it. They yeah. are they do they claim the PR to. announcement does include high tech fitting rooms, Carter. So there's Honestly, probably a mirror. That entire bubble from earlier today was just one smart mirror. That was all it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I actually like the smart mirror, but we'll have to talk about that on a oh, different man. a different topic. But you show me a smart just, mirror that works, and yeah. I'll be all about it. Yeah, I think in principle it's good, but you've really got to design it into the operational flow. All right, Emma, the intern. Do you want to close us out here? Story number five. All right, so story number five is actually two different stories because they have pretty similar dis uh, discussion points. So the first headline is that Amazon is just shipping expired food from baby formula to old beef jerky, scaring consumers and putting big brands at risk, and that's from CNBC. Then our second headline is Amazon ready to pour billions into policing products on its site, which is from the Wall Street Journal. So Amazon's marketplace, which consists of millions of third-party sellers, has become a go-to site for many grocery shoppers. But an increasing number of consumers are finding that, just as the broader Amazon marketplace has a major issue with counterfeits and unsafe products, the grocery section is littered with similarly problematic items in the form of expired foods. So as of right now, the blame is on the loopholes in Amazon's technology and logistics system that allow for expired items to proliferate with little to no accountability. However, third-party sellers are required to provide Amazon with an expiration date if they're selling an item meant for consumption and must guarantee the item has a remaining shelf life of 90 days. So what do you think of this? You've dug into this. You've gone into the wormhole. You did some great research. One. I know. I've gone down the rabbit hole of third-party sellers on Amazon. So in the grand scheme of Amazon's business, I don't really think this is detrimental. You know, this isn't going to prevent people from shopping on Amazon. I do think there is kind of an issue, though, in that your average Amazon consumer doesn't really know where the line is between where the grocery comes from Amazon. I don't think most people know that Amazon simply fulfills an order. They're not producing this food. They get sent the food from the third party seller. It's listed on the website and all they do is fulfill the order when it's shipped out. So consumers are attributing this you know, problem in expiration dates to Amazon, but it's not really Amazon. They're just fulfilling the order, but then we get into the whole where is the liability? Who's actually responsible for this? Does it make you want to stop shopping Amazon if you get an expired box of product? No. No? What about you guys? Nobody's going to stop shopping because they get one. I mean, I the delineation between product I don't even and look, look, actually, now that I think about it. But. Me neither. <laughs> no wonder you're sick all the time. Right. Chris is eating, like, cereal from 1972. Man, those Oreos are really old. All right. The delineation between Amazon and Amazon Grocery is a little confusing at times. Yeah. And so I have been in the in the place where you buy 
bags of beef jerky. Don't ask me why. It was a long story. But you're buying bags of beef jerky off Amazon, and you realize that it's being fulfilled in the same way that the HDMI cables we ordered today are. So it's in the same shelves. It's in the same order. It's in the same everything. And you realize that because, A, it was expired. B, it's, sh- it's shipped in the same box, in the same things, the same packaging, with the same everything. Right. And I think what we're seeing is it's clear that Amazon's built its infrastructure that it so successfully did and leans on not for perishable food, like not for food. It's not built for food. And so there are some items that you can slam in there, boxes of candy, maybe beef jerky, but some of these things are not, like expiration date, are not being thought of. Um, and they're having to kind of go back on some of the infrastructure that they've built in order to try to rectify it. Yeah, I managed to Tim's point by the small kind of mom and pop guys that are just selling the same type of items that you can get anywhere. What about the counterfeit idea? Because I've had a number of people hit me up on social media that like, you know, Amazon doesn't understand how big of an issue this is. It's going to really haunt them. The real real this week got hit by a counterfeit issue or, uh, as well, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's kind of been all over the media. There's been a lot more attention to just counterfeiting and just the quality of goods that we are actually receiving when we shop online. What are you guys' takes? Counterfeits are huge. It's a huge issue. They have so many products online. It's really hard to determine whether it's real or not. Um, actually, ironically enough, the microphones we're talking about right now was a huge focus of counterfeit for the small group of nerds that I work with. Um, but yeah, they were oh, actually tell getting us more. Please. They were actually getting microphones that were working, but after further review when they were being taken apart to be fixed as they broke after six months, they realized that the parts inside weren't Sure certified parts. Even though it was listed as a Sure microphone, it had the Sure branding on it, it, had, it looked exactly like the end product, uh, but at the end of the day, it weighed half as much, it didn't have the real components, etc. And you realize how easy it is for some of these for some of these suppliers to provide counterfeit goods in the mix. And if you can save 50%, you're making more than 50 more percent, you know, it's an opportunity to make a lot of money without Amazon catching you. Yeah. Well, you guys stop. I mean, let's say you get something you don't like. Well, you st- again, same question. Would you stop shopping Amazon? Or are you kind of already in the mindset of, no, buyer beware already? I mean, I feel like I'm not going to... The things I order from Amazon are either things I really don't care if they're counterfeit goods or like I don't buy anything expensive enough to be mad if it came as not the real thing. But this has been the whole issue with cosmetics. Like, it's counterfeit. Like, I think that Amazon's had a really hard time getting into cosmetics and personal care items because of the scare. Like, you don't know if it's real, and if it's not real, it has a very personal detriment on your health. Uh, okay. And I think that's an issue. So I think they're going to have to figure it out. They're going to have to figure out how to instill trust, especially as they make moves into, well, cosmetics have been a huge area of them for the last three years, but into healthcare, prescription drugs, et cetera. Like, how do you ensure, like, the detriment of trust isn't about microphones. Like, it's, it's ultimately about new categories that I think they're looking at really owning. And if you can't trust Amazon to fulfill accurately for things that matter to you personally, I think that's a big issue. So how do regulations work with this? Because we know that there are huge reg- regulations for grocers. as they, they can't sell an expired food item or, or even that. They can't sell an item that doesn't have the year placed on the exp- expiration date. So I guess my question is, are, is Amazon subject to the same regulations for selling everything from beauty products to, you know, food items yeah. that are expired? And, and how are, like, how does that well, that's what we'll find out, and I think that's what we'll find out technically with who's the seller too, right? And I think that's it. That's that's why I love doing this because I learned some new perspective that I haven't thought about from just talking through all this every single week. And I think the last point that you guys are bringing up to me is like, this is category dependent, and so for some categories, you just don't. It's not that big a deal, right? But when you start talking about food, you mentioned drugs, you mentioned beauty, the categories Amazon wants to continue to grow in. You know, where does marketplace work? Where does it not? Where do you need to have tighter control on who you're working with? 
especially you start to go into physical grocery and you have the expectation that like you're going to start to ship that stuff on demand and it's going to be the things that people want. You might need to start having a tighter control over that supply chain for well, sure. I think there's a difference too in buying and getting a counterfeit good from someplace like the real real versus someplace like Amazon. So I think there has to be a line of differentiation there because if I get a counterfeit item from the real real, that's a problem. I'm not shopping the real real again. But if I get a counterfeit item from Amazon, it's probably not a surprise. And I assume that because of Amazon's return policies, I'm able to return that item right away and be like, no way, this is not. Depending on the category, too. Because even as we were category. thinking about it, I was thinking, like, are there counterfeit items in food? I have no idea. You start buying supplements online and things like that, it kind of goes in crazy directions. All right, but let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks to everyone in the audience for listening. It's great to have you here. Thanks to everyone listening at home, at work, uh, wherever you might be. Uh, please remember to like, review, and subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. If you have the chance right now, take a moment, write us a review on iTunes. Do us a solid. It means a hell of a lot. Every difference makes a difference. And of course, on behalf of everyone, Dan, thank you so much for hosting us today for Q4. And as always, be careful out there.